you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 29, Series 9 Recap. I am, as always, one of our hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Gann. Allons-y! <laughs> How's it going, Paul? I'm good, dude. We're finally back again. Yeah. It's been a time of year to take some breaks, but guess what? We are not alone this episode. Um, we have the John Pertwee and Tom Baker of guests on our <laughs> show, uh, third and fourth, and I will let our guests fight over who gets to be which. Um, but they are the hosts of Bad Wolf Radio, another awesome Doctor Who podcast, one I have been on a couple of times. Uh, we have Aaron Goins and Adam Farmer. How's it going, gentlemen? Going good. Thanks yeah. for having us. Definitely. So, so I got to know. Who wants to be John Pertwee and who wants to be Tom Baker? Adam is way more goofy than me, so he's probably Tom Baker. Ah. <laughs> I, I, have been, I have been known to uh, be a little bit more off-kilter than Aaron. Well, <laughs> then that settles it. <laughs> you would actually wear that scarf, I think. I, I could I would. see you wearing that scarf. I would, especially this time of year. I, I'm not going to lie. I rarely go out, of the, go out of the house without a scarf on right now. So if I could get one of those 12-foot-long scarfs to wrap around myself, I would totally rock it. I have done that. I have cosplayed, <laughs> as, pictures. I, I've cosplayed as the fourth doctor, and then I have also used that scarf out in public um, just with my clothes, uh, not with the costume. So, yes, I... I am that much of a geek and have got it, flaunt it, right? Exactly, exactly, you know, (laughs) and I have gotten comments about it and I also strange looks. So, you know, (laughs) take what you get. (laughs) Spoilers. Anyway, uh, so of course this episode we are finally going to be recapping 
Series 9 of Doctor Who, which uh, finished with the Christmas episode of The Husbands of River Song. So we'll be talking all about that this episode. Just real quick, overall, before we jump into uh, the the series in detail, uh, gentlemen, overall thoughts on Series 9 as a whole. Did you enjoy it? Uh, was it one of your favorite seasons, one of your least favorite seasons? Just general thoughts on Series 9 as a whole. Um, and why don't we let... Uh, Aaron, why don't you go first? I would say Series 9 was similar to most seasons of Doctor Who. There were some very high points and there were some very low points. So, yeah, I mean, overall as a season, I enjoyed it. I still enjoy Capaldi as the Doctor, although he's definitely not my favorite modern Doctor. I do enjoy him. And, um, yeah, so I think overall it was it was a good season, um, but there were issues, and there was some really great stuff, and I'm sure we'll get into all of that stuff. Excellent. Paul? I thought it was better than season eight by far. Uh, just my personal opinion. I thought that Capaldi actually got a chance to bring himself into the doctor a lot more this season than he did last season. I think he was a lot more reined in last season. Um, uh, and he just felt more natural in the role and he made it a lot more enjoyable for me this time around. Cool. Adam. Yeah. You know, pretty much stole everything I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> definitely an uptick, definitely an uptick over season eight by far. I feel like season eight, they spent a lot of time developing the relationship between Clara and Capaldi season nine. We finally got to see the doctor, uh, in Capaldi. See, Capaldi take that mantle and really run with it. More of his character was shown. Uh, but like Aaron said, we, we take the good with the bad, right? Um, overall, the season was definitely enjoyable. I think looking back on it, there's some serious high points. Uh, but then there's also those low points, which uh, I, I have a tendency to, to prune out of my memory uh, as we get further away. Is, is it my favorite season ever? Probably not. But that being said... Uh, it definitely is the my favorite most recent season, saying that it is the most recent season. So, yeah, it was good. Excellent. I, I'm going to um, echo a lot of similar thoughts. Uh, I really enjoyed this season. It may be, I'm not entirely certain yet, but it may be my favorite of the new series as far as seasons are concerned. But that's because it was this season and some particular moments, which I will get into later, that pushed... Peter Capaldi over the the top for me as my favorite of the new Doctors. So uh, I am really enjoying Capaldi uh, in the role of the Doctor. And so this season gave me those moments that I've been waiting for and looking for to push him over the the edge as as my favorite of the new Doctor. So I think I'm probably a little bit more biased with this season um, <laughs> than than some people would be. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think. If it's not my favorite of the new series, uh, it's definitely one of my favorites of the new series in terms of seasons. But just to give all of the listeners a brief rundown and a brief reminder of what we will be addressing in this episode, uh, this is what has happened in Series 9. We had The Magician's Apprentice and The Witch's Familiar, which brought uh, Missy, Clara, and the Doctor back into conflict with Davros and the Daleks. We had Under the Lake and Before the Flood, which was Clara and the Doctor dealing with ghosts under the water, uh, claustrophobic, and 
you know, haunted house sort of scenario. Um, the girl who died and the woman who lived, the introduction and exploration of a shielder slash lady me slash whatever her name is now. Uh, introducing, oh my goodness, why am I blanking on her name? The actress's name. Maisie Williams. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Introducing Maisie Williams to Doctor Who. Um, the Zygon invasion and Zygon inversion. Of course, dealing with the Zygon invasion of Earth. Uh, a little bit more successful this time than it was back in the classic series. Uh, Sleep No More. The only standalone episode, really, uh, in this series. Which, you know, we have lovingly referred to as Revenge of the Eye Boogers. Um, and then the three-part series finale, or season finale, Face the Raven, Heaven Sent, and Hellbent, which dealt with the death, quote-unquote, of Clara and the return of Gallifrey. And, of course, we capped it off with the cherry on top, the Husbands of River Song Christmas episode, um, which I know I really enjoyed, but... Uh, <laughs> Brought back, of course, River Song in one of her more finer moments, I think, uh, in Doctor Who. So, not the finest, but one of the finest. Before we start picking these apart in detail, I've got some rapid-fire favorites that I want to run through. Uh, and then we'll run through the questions again, except with your least favorites. So, um, I'm going to go in the order that I called on you earlier. And I want Aaron. Favorite episode or story arc of the series? Uh, my favorite stuff would have been The Girl Who Died and The Woman Who Lived. I liked the introduction of a shoulder as a character. And I think that you know the way that character played out, her interactions with the Doctor, the implications of the conversations that her and the Doctor have, um, how she kind of ties into the end of the season. Um, I thought that was a great addition to Doctor Who, uh, the Do Doctor Who mythos. And so, that, yeah, I would say that story arc was my favorite. Paul, favorite episode or story arc? Uh, probably the three-parter, uh, to be honest. Um, just because it was so much of a roller coaster. Um, it didn't give you an indication of where it was going until it got there. And, you know, I, I like it when things are not 100% predictable. I think it was it was pretty well done. Adam. I'm going to isolate Face the Raven uh, for nothing more than uh, the, the the story of Clara's death with how they played it out, how they approached it, the moment that they gave Clara, but not only that, the overarching story of what Clara's character had become at that point. Um, and, and we kind of saw it coming a mile away from the very uh, towards the first half of that episode. Um, but it still had me on the edge of my seat when it was coming down. And at that point where we saw Clara die, I was still repeating to myself, this can't be, this can't happen, this can't happen. I feel like for me, that was one of the highlights of the season. Yeah, along with the other two episodes of that story arc, be solid, but face the Raven, we get a shielder and we get the death of Clara. All right. And for me, I'm probably going to be a bit of an oddball with this. Uh, my favorite was probably the Zygon Invasion and Zygon Inversion episodes. Uh, I really enjoyed the the whole concept they were dealing with and the way that they dealt uh, with this sort of uh, infiltration 
of, of the aliens and, and how they had to deal with that. And, of course, the interactions between uh, the Doctor and Kate Stewart and Clara and Bonnie. And, of course, that great speech at the end of the Zygon inversion uh, really puts that over the top for me. I, I loved uh, the the three-part finale, particularly Heaven Sent as well. But I think the Zygon invasion, Zygon inversion probably sits just above that um, on the whole. So, and like I said, probably the oddball there, but uh, anyway. Uh, how about favorite villain or monster Aaron from this season? Oh, man. Um, man, could you count Shoulder as a villain? I guess she kind of was at the end. Um, I think... Do it. <laughs> Can I go there? <laughs> sure, um, why not? Sure, I'll just say a shoulder then. I think, uh, I mean, a quick, uh, would be Missy. I, I've, Missy's one of those characters that when she was first introduced, I did not like her. Um, and she has, with the beginning of this season, um, and I think me, me and Adam had talked about it on our show, I got just enough of Missy. I was, I liked her as a character. I liked her in the first couple episodes. I was glad that's all we got of her. Um, but yeah, that, she would be a second. Okay. Uh, Paul, do you really have to ask? Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm going to say? Well, say uh, it. He's been my favorite forever. It's Davros, man. I mean, Davros has been my favorite villain in Doctor Who for as long as I can remember. Um, now, are there a couple that came up close second? Yeah, but Davros is still my favorite. <laughs> Adam. Just for kicks and giggles, I'm going to throw false Odin out. Uh, Aaron and I talked about it multiple times on our show that the guy was so stinking over the top. He was just, he was exactly the type of character that he needed to be in that episode. Um, he just sticks out in my mind whenever I think of just the cheesy over the top, he's, he's right there. So I'm going to say one of my favorite was false Odin. Okay. Um, I'm going to say my favorite and I should have thought about this because I was making the questions up, but I didn't. <laughs> um, I almost want to say Clara, but no, uh, I'm kidding. Oh. Uh, no, um, I, I'm probably going to go with uh, with Paul here on this. Uh, I really enjoyed the return of Davros this season and the way that he, the way that he was trying to uh, achieve his ends uh, and, and tr you know, this false making amends with the doctor was really just all part of his twisted plan to uh, revive the Daleks and himself, um, thus ensuring that we will see him again in the future. Uh, I, you know, a maniacal little wheel wheelchair-bound villain who's always too big for his britches, I, I kind of like, like Davros in that respect, so... I'm surprised um, nobody picked Hydroflax. <laughs> <laughs> oh, or the Veil. Oh, oh, the Veil could have been one, but, you know. That was a close second for me. That Hydroflax, yeah. He's just <laughs> sort of there. Um, you know, Adam, you know, Adam, the Veil is just that kid that was under the bed sheet in, uh, <laughs> uh, in oh, last yeah. And listen? And the, listen, the, yeah. You That's know, actually that, the Veil. That kind of works. <laughs> I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad that uh yeah that you brought that up that's it, it wasn't a kid it's not a kid it was <laughs> not a kid and listen it, it was the veil it was uh, the veil that's the thing yeah that that's that's the way we're gonna go about it you're right Jason. we're gonna re we there need was to go no back rewatch that episode 
We need to go back and see if there's any flies flying around it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, all it was right. And so that, not as not as stinky. <laughs> <laughs> all right. One more rapid fire favorite favorite character besides the doctor in series nine. Uh, go, Aaron. Jeez. I, I mean, I, I felt <laughs> like not hard. I sound like such a fanboy now, but I keep going back to a shoulder. Um, yeah. I mean, I out of all the characters they introduced. I feel like that one had the biggest impact on just the overall mythology of Doctor Who and where they could take that character. Uh, so, yeah, I think a shoulder was by far my favorite new character. Yeah, let's stick with new characters. Paul, favorite new character? Sam Swift. <laughs> ah! Uh, I really enjoyed that character. I wish that he had shown back up again, which you never know. We might see him again at some point, but uh, I just thought it would have been cool to have found out that um, a shoulder kind of kept him around, you know? Cool. Aaron, or excuse me, Adam. This is going to happen all night, guys. Just so you know. <laughs> Adam. All good. All good. Uh, I'm going to piggyback on Aaron's coattails and say a shielder. I, I, the, way that, the way that her character played out, the way that Maisie Williams played the character, I, it, was, it was to a T. If there was anybody that could, in this season... Uh, steal the spotlight from Capaldi and Capaldi had some solid moments but if there was anybody that I would say at the end of the season stole the spotlight it would be a shielder lady me uh, even in that last the last episode when they're just going back and forth at the end yeah she's she's something special so definitely gonna say a shielder and I'm gonna go with a sentimental favorite uh, that's one I, I just you know obviously we just saw recently I'm gonna go with Nardle from the Husbands of River Song as my favorite new character. <laughs> I almost said that. <laughs> Solid pick. I, I love Nardle. He's his Nardle's favorite. awesome. And uh, after listening to your last episode, you can do a pretty good <laughs> Nardle impression. I gotta say that. Are you the surgeon? <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Of course, right. my, fa- my favorite line was, it's kind of stuffy in here. Can I come out for a little while? <laughs> <laughs> Whiffy. <laughs> whiffy, there you go. Yeah. It's kind of oh. whiffy in here. <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, now we're going to flip this. Rapid fire least favorites. Uh, Aaron, least favorite episode or story arc? Oh, hands down. And there were a few bad ones, but hands down, sleep no more. Maybe my least favorite episode of all time of Doctor Who. Wow. <laughs> and that's saying a lot because we went back that's, and forth we, last We went back, yeah. The we, we talked about it, and yes, that that's a bad episode. <laughs> Paul. Uh, wow. I'm going to say, if I had to pick just off the top of my head, I'm going to probably say Under Lake and Before the Flood. Uh, not because uh, I thought that they were bad episodes, but because I thought that they could have done a little bit more with them. Okay. Adam. I, I'm I'm gonna have to again follow Aaron up and say, uh, sleep no more. It just it, everything that I read leading up to the season talked about how scariest episode of Doctor Who ever. Mark Geddes was gonna like just turn it into this fabulous standalone, freaky, scary type episode. We were gonna have something that might have challenged the Weeping Angels. I had such high expectations for the episode. And although it was creative, I'll give them that. They took a lot of chances with that episode. It, it just, yeah, it, it didn't quite, quite live up to what I wanted it to be. 
so sleep no more is at the bottom i wouldn't say i wouldn't go to the extent that Aaron does and say it's the worst episode ever or my least favorite <laughs> episode ever but it's it's pretty far down there wow all right uh, so you're not a fan of the, you guys aren't aren't a fan of the the rumor going around that uh moffat has uh asked mark gaddis to write a sequel to it i think it might need a sequel to be quite honest like if they rounded out the story and made something more of it they might be able to rescue it uh but right now the mukta monsters are not my favorite <laughs> yeah he... <laughs> the rest of the script for that first episode needs to be included in the second episode. <laughs> you don't think it was finished? <laughs> no, there was something missing. It, it seemed like the first part of a two-parter, and we never got the second part. Gotcha. All right. Uh, for me, I'm I'm probably I am so conflicted still on Sleep No More as to whether I thought it was really creative and and great or just completely ridiculous that. I, I'm not going to say it's my least favorite at the moment. Uh, I'm going to just uh, isolate Under the Lake as my least favorite episode this season. It needed Before the Flood to be anywhere near good. Um, and Before the Flood definitely did sort of redeem Under the Lake. But Under the Lake was just so blasé by itself going into Before the Flood that I was like, this really needs a lot of help. And so I'm just going to say Under the Lake was my least favorite episode this season. Uh, let's see. Least favorite villain or monster. And I'm pretty sure I have a good idea of what we're going to get in some of these answers. <laughs> Aaron. <laughs> oh, man. Um, this, what, were they, what did he call them? The same men? Yes. <laughs> I do the naming. Yeah, exactly. He, <laughs> yeah, they're just horrible. Horrible villain. Um, yeah, I won't pick on it any more than that, but yeah, that... It, Okay, Paul. Ugh. Honestly, they're not gonna like me. Um, mine was False Odin. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I just was not impressed with False Odin at all. Um, I I just felt like it. You know, it was what it had to be for the the episode, but it wasn't enough for me. You know, uh, that's just my opinion. Adam. Uh, just for, just to get out of the same vein of saying the Sandman, although honestly that would be, that would be mine. Uh, I'm going to say the Fisher King, uh, just because he had the potential of being so much more than what he was. Um, he could have been so much more terrifying than what he was. And in the end, we just see him flailing his arms, getting swept away by the flood. Uh, so I'm going to say the Fisher King. That's the reason I said that those are my least favorite episodes. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And for me, uh, it's going to be Colony Sarf for many of the same reasons. He had such sort of a great, uh, dramatic introduction as this, you know, colony of snakes uh, at the beginning of, you know, the or during the Magician's Apprentice, and then he was completely forgotten for the Witch's Familiar and had almost nothing to do and just was not needed. Uh, but he was still there, and I was just like, well, that was unnecessary. So Colony Sarf. You have to give him props at least for being the first Doctor Who villain to rock a hoverboard. True. True. <laughs> uh, but yeah, for me it was Colony Sarf. All right. Uh, least favorite new character. You know, hero, villain, uh, whatever this is. Uh, Aaron, go. Uh, since we already did bad guys, I'll go to the, the good guys on this one. But uh, I think Ramon 
from the Husbands of River song uh, was the most pointless character that we had this season. Uh, not sure why he was there other than to have a third husband so they could title the episode the way they did. Okay. Paul. Am I going to get lynched for saying Hydroflax? <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> Do I need to explain that? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Although it was pretty funny when his head was in the bag. Just saying. Yeah, uh, it was. <laughs> that was the best use of that character. Anyway, um, <laughs> when you couldn't see his face. Uh, <laughs> Adam. Aaron and I talk about this way too much, and we haven't even talked about this part of it. I was going to say Ramon, but I'm going to take a step back and say Scratch. Uh, number one, because it is probably the least creative name that we ever get from Doctor Who, a character just called Scratch. And number two, I'm still not too sure about ripping open my head to give someone a bank account. Um, so <laughs> the yeah, most I'm, disgusting thing. I actually thing. like that part. <laughs> it's so I mean, gross. It's, it was... it's his one redeeming quality, right? That he has a party trick. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna throw scratch out there. My reaction when watching that for the first time was, Heh. You know, I just gagged. It was just <laughs> gross. I don't. I wouldn't touch Scratch with a thirty-nine and a half foot pole. Um, oh, oh, you know, I'm a I'm a fan of Jason Voorhees, so you know, I, I don't get bothered by stuff like that. <laughs> I, I, I expected, like, at, at some point, for someone to grab a spoon and just start like spooning out whatever was in there. Ew! It looked like an open melon, right? Yeah, yeah, it definitely seems like I could draw a lot of real-life comparisons. I'm not sure with what, but I'm pretty sure I've seen something like that in real life. Ew. Am I am I the only one that wondered where his brain was at that point? I thought that was his brain that he was pulling the bank out of. Anyway. I think, I think that might be another thing against the character is that I don't think he technically had one. <laughs> because it's a school. Um, oh, man. Uh, my least favorite new character is probably going to be, and I don't even remember his name, uh, Leandro or whatever the heck that lion guy's name was and the girl who died. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Because he looked like the Cowardly Lion's cousin and yeah. had nothing to do. And so... You know, I forgot all about him. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's how bad that character was for me. I, I literally, I would have said that one. But I forgot about him. That's the, He was that memorable to me. <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> there, That's there you awesome. go. That's, he, uh, he was so underused. So underused. A character like that would have had so much potential if they, if they had used him uh, to his full strengths and, and done what they could have done with that character. He could have been so much more. Yeah, the good thing had... in the episode is that it didn't distract from Doctor and a Shielder, though. Like... He he was a super weak character. They could have done so much more with them, but he they also didn't want him to distract from the story. And that and that way he played it perfectly. True. But I wish it was a little bit more than the Cowardly Lion's cousin that bro that breathed fire. Uh, <laughs> Adam does a really good Cowardly Lion impression. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's nearly not late enough for me to even pretend to try. Hey, you've already brought it up now. <laughs> Just listen back. back to our review of that episode. I left it in in a uh, cutscene at the end of the episode. Ah, awesome. I must have missed that one. <laughs> yeah, awesome. you have to listen after the credits. Sometimes I try to embarrass Adam with some cutscenes after the credits. 
He knows uh, that I don't listen to the show that long. Every <laughs> every uh, every once in a while, I'll I'll uh, skip to another another podcast at, at the very end when the credits are going. So that's my bad. Yeah. <laughs> well. All right. So that's our rapid fire favorites and least favorites of this series. Um, Can I do one honorable mention? Sure. Because I forgot about this. Uh, one of my favorite stories in this season actually wasn't in this season. It was a prequel, The Doctor's Meditation, which had the character Bors, who I would ah. put as an honorable mention as one of my favorite new additions to Doctor Who. There you go. Yeah, that I was like a great, the character. That was a great short little prequel that I thought should have been a full episode. I actually really enjoyed that. I I would have liked to see more of Bors, <laughs> definitely. Uh, <laughs> he was a bit like Jamie uh in that in the way he came across but exactly um, you guys haven't gotten to jamie yet in your classic episode reviews have you nope we're just about to start the second doctor so you will like jamie jamie's a good character um i hope you'll like jamie anyways all right i'm gonna go ahead and start asking some more in-depth questions and you guys can just answer at will i'm not gonna go in this order anymore if you don't want to so do you have a standout, quote-unquote, Doctor moment from Series 9? Uh, what is the moment that the Doctor was the Doctor that you have as a, as a standout moment? I'll throw out a standout comedic moment for the Doctor. I think just in this last episode, The Husbands of River Song, where the Doctor gets to play his, you know, he gets to walk into the TARDIS and pretend he's never seen it before. And he, get, he does just the over-the-top theatrics on his, how it's just blowing his mind, and I just loved that. I thought it was so hilarious. It's something I'm surprised we haven't seen happen yet in the modern series, um, but it was it was cool to get to see the Doctor almost just mocking every companion that has ever had that moment, and he just taking it over the top. Uh, so just for the comedic element of that, that's that's a big standout moment for me for the season. That's awesome. I loved that moment. That was That is still... Uh, for the first half of that that episode, that's my favorite moment from the first half of that episode. Obviously, the the stuff with River at the end when she actually realizes who he is is great too. But that is also one of the best highlights of that episode. Uh, I absolutely. <laughs> he says he finally gets to do it right, and I'm not quite sure he did. Um, but <laughs> but it was great to see him try. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna toss out Hellbent. Uh, where the doctor is sitting at the table and the uh, group by group, they're coming to him, telling him that he needs to, he needs to go with them. And he, he doesn't yield um, to the point where they say, lay down your weapons and he lays down his spoon. I, there's something yes. about that whole exchange that I absolutely love. It's, it's the arrogance of Capaldi's doctor. But yet, it's also his firm resolve of being the doctor, and this is how it's going to go. Uh, I, I I just love that ongoing exchange as more and more groups are coming to him, and he's just like, eh, it doesn't matter. He goes out, he sees who it is, and then he goes back. That's awesome. Uh, Paul? I don't know if you would call this the most doctor-like moment uh, based on you know classic doctors and whatnot. But I think in spirit, it kind of, it is a Doctor moment, and I think it set the tone for the season for me, is in The Magician's Apprentice, when he comes riding out on that tank, and, <laughs> and, and uh, 
He's playing says, the guitar. You, you said you wanted to have an axe battle, <laughs> and he just looks at him like, "That's not the kind of axe I was talking about," you know. <laughs> I, just, that, I thought that was really good. That's funny. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Do you want to say something about that, Adam? No, I just okay. loved it. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just reminiscing <laughs> on the doctor playing his guitar as he was riding out. <laughs> the first introduction of the guitar that we had this season, which I I personally <laughs> loved. Okay. Um, so it just set the tone for the whole season of what the, the season had the potential to be, you know? Awesome. Yeah, definitely. I, I remember Aaron and I talking about that as far as, like, that first episode uh, with the personality of the doctor in the episode of us wanting to see that personality kind of travel through the rest of the season or series. And I think we saw bits and pieces of it. Um, but that you're right. That definitely set the tone for what I was expecting or wanted to see for the season. Awesome. Um, I think for me, my standout moment, um, and I've already sort of alluded to this earlier, uh, was, the doctor's speech in the Zygon inversion, uh, where he's got uh, Kate Stewart and Bonnie at odds on with the Osgood boxes, and he talks them both down out of war, uh, you know, out of you know starting a war, and then at the very end of it, going, yeah, well, we've done this fifteen times already. <laughs> what you know? Um, but the the whole speech and the way that he uh, talks them off the ledge, and then even goes so far as to telling Bonnie that he forgives her uh, was, was just one of the best moments to me this series and was the moment that pushed Capaldi over the edge as my favorite doctor of the new series of the, the current series. Uh, and so and I, let's, let's be honest. Capaldi was acting his butt off in that scene. <laughs> um, I mean, there was so much emotion in that scene. I felt myself tearing up, you know, it was one of those things when it cut to commercial break right after that, uh, my mom and I were watching the episode together and we just sort of, you know, looked at each other, realized we were holding our breaths and then just said, well, that was epic. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one thing about Capaldi. Like in those moments, there's, he kicks it into a higher gear and he can just run with a monologue. That's, other uh, Matt Smith, he he could do it. He did it at the Pandora Opens. Really solid speech. Capaldi has had a lot of opportunities for that, and it seems like it gets better and better and better with each one. He can definitely take those and run with it. Yeah. So I want to dig into this a little bit, okay. as far as Capaldi being your favorite Doctor now, modern Doctor, mm-hmm. um, because. I mean, just if you listen to kind of just the fan reaction in general about Capaldi, it hasn't been that positive uh, because he is so different. So what, you know, kind of what about him has pushed pushed it over? Who was your favorite before that? Um, Of the new Doctors, of the modern Doctors, uh, Tennant was my favorite. Um, And he's still very high on the list. Um, And I think part of the reason... I think Capaldi really benefits from me because I'm so familiar with the classic doctors. And I get to see the little nuances that he brings in that sort of call back to, uh, you know, the first doctor here, the fifth doctor there, you know, six comes out every so often. Uh, and 
you know, that, that sort of thing. The, the nuances that he throws in because he is such a fan of the series himself, uh, and the love that he has for the show, he likes to, to weave in little hints and little glimpses at previous doctors in his performance, in his portrayal, in the little comments that he makes or the little, uh, action that he does over here. Um, and and it's seeing the doctor as one complete whole uh, being brought out in Capaldi. And I think also part of it is, is I like the fact that he is so different from some of the doctors that we've gotten uh, recently. You know, Tennant and Smith are great, but they're definitely in a very similar mold of, you know, sort of a, a very attractive leading man kind of, uh, you know, guy. And we had, you know, very obvious, you know, especially with Tennant, some very obvious love story being built there around him a little bit, which was kind of cool and kind of weird to me at the same time. And so just having that complete shift and going that dramatic shift uh, from that sort of uh, almost romantic lead to someone completely different uh, definitely reminded me of, of the classic series because you did jump from very different doctors uh, during the classic series. And I am a huge fan of the classic series. So, um, and Jason, I think who's your favorite classic doctor, Tom Baker, Capaldi, the, Capaldi can deliver one liners just like Baker. Yeah. I mean, you see it just come out all the time, you know, those subtle little Tom Baker moments and, I think that has something to do with it as well. Is Tom Baker? Let's just be honest. He embodied the Doctor for the majority of the the classic Who fans. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And so I was I, just curious because Capaldi is actually my least favorite of the modern Doctors. So I was just kind of curious to hear your take on the character. Yeah, and I think so. It's it's not necessarily that he's your favorite new doctor it's that he's the culmination of all the classics that's what you like about him he's the culmination of all of them because you definitely do get you know uh you know eccleston and and smith and and you know occasionally Tennant in in some of what he does and especially with uh the husbands of river song you definitely got to see him be a little bit more goofy like like matt smith was oh yeah um, which was great <clears throat> to see that sort of you know return of of the doctor's humor and i love the fact that we actually got to see him laugh for the first time in forever it was great uh to to see that but okay am i the only one that noticed as soon as clara's gone he's no longer the grumpy frumpy you know (laughs) angry eyebrow doctor anymore he's now able to smile and stuff again i mean (laughs) i think i think it's kind of funny that that happens you know Part of it is he did have his mind partially wiped, so I think he's sort of starting over again. Yeah, but... and that that burden of care that he had for Clara, I think that that that, that probably stressed him out quite a bit. Well, considering <laughs> that she was trying to be the Doctor in so many ways, you know, and and you know the fact there that there is just one of him, and he knows how to be him. Um, having someone else trying to be him is probably stressing him out because he knows what he's capable of and what he would want to do. And having someone else try to do the same thing at the same time uh, and keep that person alive. Uh, yeah. I would say it would stress he, he him even out. told her a couple of times last, you know, this past season, he says, 
that's not your job. That's my job. Stop doing that. You know? So. Yeah, he, he definitely, he, he, I think even in the last, the last episode he made mention of like how she's definitely more breakable than he is. Yeah. And, and just to sort of finish my thoughts on, on why he's my favorite is while I was enjoying seeing all the little glimpses back to the previous doctors in his performance, you know, last season and earlier this season, I was waiting for something that was purely Capaldi to really push him over the edge for me. And I was sort of starting to get that with the guitar playing, but it was that speech, like I said, with the in the Zygon inversion um, that pushed him over the edge for me as my favorite. That was something that, uh, while many of the doctors could have delivered that speech well, I think he was the one that that speech was tailor-made for and was the only one that could have pulled it off the way that he did. And so... Uh, while, yes, I, I loved seeing glimpses of all the previous Doctors in what he did and sort of the culmination of the Doctor up to this point, seeing something completely unique to him in that aspect um, and that in, in the way that connected so well um, was what really put him over the edge as my favorite um, of the new series. So, Anything else that we want to touch on that before we move on? I'm good. Okay. Next question. All right. All right. Um, so this seri- series, we got a lot of two-parters or multiple episode uh, story arcs. Um, how did that setup work for you guys? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Uh, would you like to see that more uh, going forward? Or would you like to see Doctor Who return to more of the, the, the standalone <clears throat> episode format? I'm hoping for more of a mix going forward. Um, I, this entire season, with the exception, I think, of one episode, uh, was multi, you know, two-parters. Um, you know, there was a three-parter at the end, and everything else was two-parters, and then there was the standalone. Um, so I think the, the side effect of that is you're going to have a weaker episode. The first episode is typically going to be weaker. doesn't stand on its own very well, and then you get... The second episode comes along, which makes the whole story make more sense, and you like the whole story more. Um, and I'm okay with that happening, you know, two or three times a season, but when the entire season is made up like that, it's like every other episode is weak. And that's, you know, it's kind of hard to stay excited when you're kind of the, the up and down, the up and down. So, yeah, for me, I, you know, I like the two-parters. I hope they keep doing them, but maybe less frequent, uh, mix it up a little bit uh, more in, in future seasons. I'm a huge fan of the two-parters. Uh, last season, when they really didn't do any two-parters, I I was kind of bummed by it. And so when they said that they were going to be doing more of those in Series Nine, I I was extremely happy about it. But it seemed like it seemed like some of the magic of the two-parters were was lost somewhere. Going back to uh, some of the other series before Series Nine, where they did two-parters, it seemed like what Aaron was talking about where the first episode um, was truly reliant on the second episode. It didn't seem like that was the case. Um, just here recently watching silence in the library and force of the dead silence of the library in and of itself is such a solid episode and forest of the dead adds to it, but you don't really feel like that first episode is lacking. Whereas it seems like with series nine, a lot of those first episodes 
were lacking. A lot of the first episodes of the two-parters were lacking. So I would love to see them continue with two-parters, but they need to find some way to reclaim that magic. I, I don't know. There, what Aaron mentioned as far as the first episode really falling flat and relying heavily on the second episode um, to kind of bring it back up to speed. We had a lot of conversations as far as, hey, should we should we even review the first episode or should we wait until the entire story? And more often than not, it was, well, it probably would have been best if we waited until we had the whole story because the first episode kind of had us down. Paul? Well, you know, I grew up on the classic series, uh, so I got used to five, six, seven, eight-part stories, you know. Um, so this seemed a little bit like it was going back toward that format for me. Um, and Jason, you can attest to this. Uh, there are, in, in some of the classic stories, you know, when you have a five and six, seven, eight-part storyline, there's sometimes going to be an entire episode where it feels like that you almost don't have a whole lot going on other than exposition. <laughs> Feast know? of Steven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Feast of Steven shouldn't even be an episode, but anyway. No, it shouldn't. Um, uh, but uh, that that is a, uh, for the two of you guys, uh, Feast of Steven is uh, the first unofficial Christmas special that happened in the middle of yeah. uh, the, uh, what was that series called? Yeah. Uh, Dalek, not the Dalek Invasion of Earth, it was... Uh, Dalek's Master Plan. Dalek's Master Plan, which yeah. is a largely missing uh, series, but we found reconstructions online and watched it and reviewed it, and we've got two episodes devoted to it, because it was 12 episodes long, <laughs> plus a prequel. 13, 13. Well, 13, yeah, plus... Counting the prequel. A, counting yeah. the prequel. Um, and Feast of Stephen ended up just being this random episode that aired on Christmas, and they didn't want to have, like, a horrible dark episode on Christmas, uh, so they put Feast of Stephen in the middle of there, and it was complete trash, uh, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> um, and yeah. should not have existed. So. It, was, it was almost as bad as the Star Wars holiday special. You know, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, but no. What my getting back to my point? Um, <laughs> sorry. The the uh, the the two parters didn't bother me that much, um, as far as that goes, uh, because of that. But uh, I I will say that I think it would be nice to see a little bit more of a balance uh, of, of standalones and two-parters uh, just for the, the sake uh, of not having a situation where, you, first of all, where it feels like you're getting uh, shortchanged on the number of stories that you're getting in a season, but also a situation where you feel like the, you know, like they said before, the first step of time suffers because it is so reliant on, um, because you know, even though the the story, the entire story itself can be an outstanding, terrific story, sometimes people lose interest so much in the first part of it that uh, it, it taints their their watching uh, pleasure for the entire story. You know. Yeah. No, I, I'm gonna agree with you guys mostly. I I like two parters. Because you get to, you know, delve more in depth with the story and you could sort of flesh it out more. But I do think, uh, I'm going to agree with um, agree with Adam. I think you said that the, some of the magic from the two-parters was gone 
a little bit this season because there were so many of them. Uh, when you had two parters before in a lot of the season, like you know, highlighting uh, the same one you did, Adam, uh, Silence in the Library, Forest of the Dead, that was sort of almost like a mini mid-series, you know, mid-season event um, because of the the level of storytelling that you got with both of those episodes, and it was one of those things where it was. Uh, you know, you knew this was going to be important um, when you were watching it, and it was it was almost like a season finale before the season finale uh, in the way that they approached it, and I really liked that. Um, and like I said, I, I like two-parters because you do get to spend more time with some of the characters and you get to flesh it out more, but I do think a, a balance, and like I said, I'm repeating a lot of what you guys have already said, I think, I think a balance is going to be smarter going forward because then you get to spend a little bit more time perfecting the two-parters and making sure that they have the impact that you want them to have. And going back to my, my least favorite episode of the season, Under the Lake, it was incredibly heavily reliant on Before the Flood. It was so heavily reliant on Before the Flood that watching it by itself is... I, I won't ever watch it by itself. Period. It, it is just so dull and dreary without Before the Flood. Uh, there's nothing to it. But see, on the flip side of that, that's what I like so much about the three-parter that we got is that even though it was a three-part story, each episode of that still felt like it could stand on its own, even though you technically needed the rest of the story to finish it out. They, they still felt like they stood on their own. Yeah. No, I I agree. On the flip side of it, that when they did it that way, I do think it was, it worked very well. And sort of building off of that, I'm going to go into my next question. One of the things that that three-parter built up to was the return of Gallifrey. And that's something that we've known has been coming uh, since Capaldi, since we got Capaldi, since Smith re regenerated into Capaldi, that we knew Gallifrey had to come back. How do you think the way that they brought it back this season, how do you think that worked? Did that work for you? Would you have preferred something different? Uh, Gallifrey coming back, um, how does how does that sit with you guys? It was a little... It was a little... Um, interesting how they, yeah that's a good word I, I never like saying that word because i never pronounce it right um but yeah that's the right word uh but yeah it just was like okay that the gallifrey is here now and there really wasn't a very good explanation as to why it was there you know the last time we had seen them there were the whole cup of soup thing and you know they had been you know saved in this little thing and and then all of a sudden the doctor's back there and there's really no explanation as to, I mean, they kind of gave an explanation, like but they figured out how to get out of that and then hit at the end of time. It's like, okay, what does that mean? Like, you know, they just, they just seemed to be a lot happened that we didn't see. And it just kind of all, you know, just was there. And I, I don't know. I, I wish there was a bit more leading up to that, a little bit more explanation, maybe a little bit more time spent on Gallifrey rather than just being, the last episode of the season um you know just kind of plopped in our laps with a bunch of we'll say this much um i like the fact that they brought it back um i wish uh that they had done it a little differently uh and what i mean by that is i would like to have seen it be something that the doctor actively pursued and something that he actually caused to happen as opposed to 
well, here it is, you know, they just decided to come back, you know, because you were led to believe that they weren't going to be able to come back on their own, you know, that there was something there that was keeping that from happening. Um, and that had something to do with the reason why the doctor was given his regenerations and everything uh, in the Christmas special. And, you know, then all of a sudden it's like, well, we, we figured out how to come back on our own. You didn't need to do anything. And, you know, that was the, if I had to say anything at all about the season finale, I think that would be my one criticism. Well, my one of two criticisms, but, um, you know, other than that, I, I like the fact that it's back. I like the fact that it's going to be able to be used again in the universe and, and everything else. Because if you think about it, I mean, how creative, how creative did uh, Moffat have to get uh, in order to figure out how to bring Gallifrey back in the first place, considering uh, that uh, Davies had basically written it out of existence uh, when uh, the series was rebooted or restarted, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, you had to get pretty creative that, to figure out how to do creative? that. Is that creative? Is that creative, or is that just Moffat doing what he wants to do? <laughs> like, well, he's, he's you know, Moffat. You, could, you know, he's you, he's like he's the guy that made us accept. You know, the doctor right? he's just like, oh, you know, how did I get this tea? I'm the you know, doctor. Deal with it. <laughs> deal with it. You know, that's right. that's Moffat. You know? I mean, honestly, I, if I you guess, think about it, the whole series that, has yeah. been. Uh, the whole series has been I'm the doctor. Deal with it as he puts on the sunglasses. Right. The it, the doctor has been a meme this entire. <laughs> This entire series. Well, I will say this, you know, ever since Stephen Moffat took over the show, it almost has felt at certain times like he was saying, uh, hey, Russell, this is the way it should have been done, you know, and I'm going to show you that you did it wrong the first time. You know, it, sometimes it's felt that way almost. Uh, and I will say that. Um, but uh, I felt like that, that, that Stephen Moffat wanted Gallifrey to be there the whole time, uh, but he just didn't have the control to make that happen. And so then once he was able to take over the show, it was like, now I have to figure out how I'm going to bring it back because it's basically been written out of existence, you know. Um, so I'm going to have to figure out how to make it so that the doctor didn't destroy it in the first place. Gotcha. I'm, I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm just going to say that we weren't ever really given, at the end of the day, a search for Gallifrey. And, mm -hmm. What what Paul said, I, I agree with. Like, I would have loved to see maybe an entire series devoted the Doctor actively searching for Gallifrey. Like, it was set up as this, this big thing. The Doctor needs to find Gallifrey. There's, an, there's a chance for the Doctor to find Gallifrey. We had one mention, I think, towards the end of Series 8 about the Doctor looking for it. Um, but we never got to see that search. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this big event right. that we should have gotten an entire series devoted to finding Gallifrey. Also, it's just like, oh, Gall Gallifrey's back. To me, it was a huge story element that could have been taken full advantage of. And it would have been amazing to watch the Doctor jump around, introduce a bunch of new characters as he's not rampage, lack of a better word to say, but he's he's just... He's scraping the bottom of the barrel, barrel trying to find Gallifrey. It would have been, it would have been awesome to see. See, to me, it felt like that they did it in such a way uh, as to say, okay, we're going to treat this the way that Star Wars treated the Clone Wars. If you don't put the animated series in, you know, it's like 
we're just going to let you not know anything that happened between point A and point B, and oh, suddenly here it is. You know, uh, I, I, we we missed out on a big, big chunk of of storytelling potential. You know, totally, yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, no. See, my whole thought is that series nine was going to be that search for Gallifrey going into series nine because at the end of series eight, Missy tells the Doctor. Well, it's right back where it used to be. And he gets all hopeful and excited and he goes and looks for it where Gallifrey used to be and it's not there. And the heartbreak and anguish on his face when he realizes that he's been tricked is was was really impactful to me. And I was like, ah, oh, so now this is going to spur him on to continue the search for Gallifrey. Um, and I, that's what I wanted to see. And I'm, and I'm a bit, I feel a little cheated that we didn't get that search. Um, I like the fact that Gallifrey is back. I, I think it will be a great addition going forward to the series. Uh, but I, I do feel a little bit cheated that we didn't get to see the search for it because I, the doctor did so much to save it. And he ended up having so little to do with its re, you know, return. And, and I feel like not only did that cheat us, but that sort of cheated the doctor too. Uh, a little bit. Uh, and I really wish we would have gotten that search. Like everybody is say, a search for Gallifrey would have been amazing to see uh, and would have been a great driving force. You know, maybe the, the doctor has this driving force as to why they're traveling all over these places during the season. And Clara doesn't know what the mission is and he's not telling her because he doesn't want to get her hopes up. Um, well, and then she finally as a secondary story plot line, I mean, that would have still been better than what we got, you know? Right. Yeah, it's totally what Moffat loves, right? He loves to have those, like, little tidbits tossed into each episode that all of a sudden, at the end, just all tied together and you're given this amazing picture. Um, it, it Racking the wall, been, anybody? It, yeah, it would have been incredible, right, to have that same experience. Things that I feel like we've gotten in previous series... Um, and it's just odd that something this big wasn't taken advantage of, right? He didn't search for Gallifrey. Gallifrey, in essence, searched for him. <laughs> and we missed out on all of it. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, by the way, speaking of being cheated, oh. uh, I have a question. Um, how did everybody feel about the way that things ended this season Clara. That was my exact next question, <laughs> <Paul>. <laughs> That was my exact next question. You're nice. jumping the gun. No, I'm kidding. Uh, go for it. Uh... <laughs> uh, because honestly, I felt a little cheated there because I thought that the way things ended for her in Face the Raven was very, very well done. You know, and I, I have absolutely no problem with the doctor deciding he wants to take revenge on Lord's uh, uh, counsel for what happened to Clara on all nine yards. But where I had the issue, this is my second complaint about the season finale, is the fact that I didn't feel like that he should have actually been able to bring Clara back. Um, that is that is my uh, my my my. Two little pet peeves 
about the season finale. Um, and it's not because, oh, I hate the character or whatever. I just think it would have been a little bit better storytelling, in my opinion, if there was some loss there. You guys want to jump in on that? Oh, Call yeah, me I have thoughts. Twisted. <laughs> <laughs> Call me dark and twisted, but I wanted her dead. I wanted to. I wanted her at the end of Face the Raven, just because of the impact that it had in watching that episode. Where I literally at the end was still. I mean, I, I said it already. I was still saying like that just didn't happen. Like there's no way that happened. It was the way that she went out was so um, caught me by surprise. I really she would have. Not not because of any dislike for the character, like Paul said, but it just bites and it hurt just enough to make me want her to stay dead. And am I the only one that thinks that it was very beautifully done? I mean, I thought it was beautiful in the way that it happened. You know, yeah, beautifully no, I, tragic, beautifully it, tragic. Exactly, exactly. It it was, and it was so well done and so in character for her to go out that way to me that it, it and even the the sort of you know secondary goodbye we got from her in, in in heaven sent worked for me because that's all in the doctor's head but having her come back and you know be taken out of that split second before she died in hellbent sort of cheapened it for me a little bit i was like well you've just taken something that was very beautiful very well done very in character for everybody involved in the situation and you just sort of like went haha not quite and it, it sort of undercuts the impact of, of face the raven and and sort of lessens the the tragedy of it and lessens the the, the beautiful ending that we got to that you know beautiful in, in, in the tragic sense obviously but i i think the ending would have been more fit for her to have stayed dead there and not it be, you know, unnaturally resurrected by the doctor again. Yeah, I think uh, my thoughts echo all of your sentiments on this, um, so I won't go too long with it. But I think that they were kind of trying to have it both. And we were speculating, you know, we knew Claire was going to leave. But it's like, okay, is she going to have the tragic ending like some, you know, companions have had? Or is she going to have a happy ending? think they wanted to have it both ways they gave us both you know they gave us the tragic ending and face the raven they gave us the happy ending in hellbent and i you know like you guys i think i felt like it cheapened it i i really thought that they they were risky with what they did in face the raven the fact that they were willing to you know show us that this character has gotten herself to a point that she's backed herself into a corner she's bitten off more than she can chew and she and it cost her her life, and I thought that was that was a big statement. And then to just have her kind of happily ever after run off into the galaxy in a new TARDIS, you know, it was kind of like, oh, I guess she really didn't learn her lesson after all. You know, <laughs> everything worked out in the end. Um, so yeah, I just I wish they had kind of left her be after episode ten or after Face the Raven. Well, see, then on top of that, you have the whole Danny Pink thing, as because you know. You, you think of the season finale of the season before, she wanted Danny back. She wanted to be with Danny so badly that she was willing to destroy the TARDIS keys to keep the Doctor from ever being able to use it again. And then one season later, you know, when she has the opportunity to just pass on and be with Danny, 
you know, at least in her mind, she she's not going to take that opportunity at the end of the season when she just says, well, how about we take the long way around? I mean, you know, that to me seemed like, you know, I understand she's she's gotten over a lot of her grief and everything at that point, but it just seemed to me like it wasn't quite as connected in that but, way. But did she get over her grief? Because I feel like half of the thing that was driving her this season was her grief and the fact that she was running from it. And that's why she was being so reckless and that's why she was being uh, so trying to become so much like the doctor this season. But see, that's uh, the reason I have such an issue with the way that she was in the very end of the very last episode. You know? Yeah. All right, well, so Adam, guys, it guys, like, guys, here, here's your your five minutes of Danny. I was gonna say, I was just about to say, <laughs> we're getting our five minutes of Danny Pink. Thank you, Paul. Um, but um, yeah, Danny Pink, like now she has a TARDIS. So what's to stop her from just going far enough back in time so she can be with him again? Well, um, here's the thought: what? How does it paint the Doctor? I mean, it took the Doctor all of thirty seconds to decide that he was going to pull Claire out of her time stream and save her. And yet, Clara's only desire was to be with Danny Pink again. And yet, the doctor never did the same thing for him. I mean, he could have. He could have figured out how to find Gallifrey and pull Danny Pink out. But he didn't. He didn't really love Clara. He hated P.E. He hated <laughs> P.E. more than he loved Clara. That, that, is, that is the moral of the story. <laughs> nice. There you go. There you go. And that was your five minutes of Danny Pink. Yes! <laughs> Two seasons later. Still going strong. Oh. All right. Um, I thought you'd like that. And In all honesty, though, in all honesty, like the one redeeming quality of having Clara come back is being able to hear the doctor play Clara's song on his guitar at the very end. There's just yeah. something about that moment that it was like, okay, I... I don't care for Claire being back, not because I hated the character in the end, but because I felt like it cheapened it. But hearing the doctor play the memory of Clara on his guitar, that was something special. But now think about it this way, though. What if she had never come back and the last scene of the last episode of the season was him sitting in the TARDIS playing her song, remembering her? You know, and then he flies off onto another adventure. You know, I think that would have been just as just as well done. I'll do, I'll do you one better. He goes to Beethoven and has Beethoven compose Clara's song, and it. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you nice, go. Nice, nice. But he <laughs> is Beethoven, right? <gasps> I'm so confused. Or is he? Okay, speaking of is he or isn't he, um, Paul and I got into a big discussion. Uh, <laughs> I thought this in was hell, is this, in, is this like a parent's discussion? Was it really an argument and you're just sugarcoating it for us kids? It was it was almost it was almost an argument. Um, <laughs> in hell bent, yeah. we got the whole idea was the doctor the hybrid and there's two answers to this there's the answer that the doctor was the hybrid because he's half human half time lord and the doctor's the hybrid because he's one half of the hybrid the other half being clara uh you know we have this two answers and paul was of the camp that 
the doctor is uh, half human um, because he's a big fan of the eighth doctor movie. And that was sort of introduced there. And while it was sort of funny and quaint in that for me, I'm perfectly fine with him being full blood Gallifreyan, full blood time Lord. And I like the idea that it's, uh, you know, he's one half of the hybrid, the other half being Clara and Missy putting them together, created the hybrid and we actually asked our listeners on our Facebook page um, what they thought, and we got a complete split vote. 50-50. 50-50 on the issue. And so um, Paul and I will not budge from our views on this. And so I'm just wondering, Adam, Aaron, what do you guys think? Who's really the hybrid? Or how does that all shake out? Or do you care? <laughs> oh, so the doc- doctor, the doctor has always been a fan of science and fact over legend and you know supernatural, right? So mm-hmm. does the doctor really put that much, you know, you know, does he really care what a legend says? Like, is that legend even valid at this point? Um, so I think we don't know. We don't know who the hybrid is. Does it matter who the hybrid is? I think there was a lot of options. I don't think it was just down to those two. I think even, you know, you could even say, um, you know, a shoulder could have been the hybrid and she was trying to deflect to the doctor. Um, I don't think either of those options that you gave me are correct. So I don't know if I can vote. Um, so well, that's, yeah. that's a perfectly, that's a, I, I will, I will take your your my non vote your non vote as uh, as valid. So uh, if you if you don't think either of them correct, that's perfectly fine. I, I thought it was all very interesting. As one of my favorite parts of the season was actually the conversation with the doctor and a shoulder at the end of time. You know, I love that idea of you know you know I, I'm very bad at getting quotes exactly right, but you know if you find yourself at the end of the time, expect to be in the company of immortals. You know, I like I just thought that was a cool scene at the end with them and their discussion going back and forth on what is the hybrid um the doctor being half human i've always i've always thought that that was something that was written out of canon so i didn't think that that was still a fact in the in the fact that they kind of brought it back into it's, this it's never been addressed since the eighth doctor movie uh, okay so and so i just kind of assumed that that wasn't you know that was just something that happened in the eighth doctor you know movie but wasn't something they kind of continued on with. So I thought it was a nice shout out to that. Um, It was kind of cool to hear that. But, um, you know, does that make the doctor the hybrid? I don't think so. Um, But, you know, I don't really know if there is a hybrid. It could just be a legend that has no basis. Oh, Hill is the hybrid. She's been the puppet master the entire time. That's the only way to explain <laughs> why she was there in the room at the very end. Oh, Hill is the puppet master. Oh, Hill is the hybrid. I'm going to create a t-shirt that says that, in fact, (laughs) and it will be for sale next week. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Gila's the hybrid. Nice. Never even considered that. Um, so they're not gonna they're not gonna weigh in on our discussion. We we didn't help you guys at all. <laughs> nope, nope. And that is as I expected. Still in gridlock. <laughs> Nothing will ever change with that, Paul. Well, um, <laughs> there there were a few things that I didn't bring up on our on our last uh, discussion that I probably won't bring up here now either. But uh, good because we're moving on. 
Uh, <laughs> let me let me just say this though. For me, the reason why it seems like um, an appealing thing is just for the sake of him being a character that is more. Uh, and what I mean by that is he's more than just Gallifrey and he's more than just human. He is a unique entity in the universe that there is not another like him, you know? And so I think that would make him uniquely special in that way. Um, because, uh, he is so different than all of the other time Lords there. There are just distinct differences between him and, and the other time Lords that you see in all the other episodes, you know? And my issue with that is that none of the other time Lords bring it up ever. If he was half human, they would have considered him a lot lower than them. Uh, they're that arrogant and that aristocratic uh, that they would have considered him to be not a time Lord really. And so nobody right. and, ever, and I it agree up. with that. I agree with that, but that would also be the reason why it would be such a close kept secret. If that was the case, you know, but he's such a prominent time Lord that they would have known. So, I mean, I, I just like the idea of him being that unique entity uh, that there is not another, another one like him, you know, uh, but that's that's basically it. And and now you can now you two have gotten a glimpse into the the gridlocked argument that we got into <laughs> on our episode of Hellbent. <laughs> I'm, I'm not your point. I'm just telling the reason why I like the idea. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I jest. Anyways, uh, let's let's move on. Um, <laughs> whose goodbye hurt the Doctor more, Clara or River? River. River. Why? Easy answer. Um, I think the doctor doesn't like Claire as much as we think he does. And and we've gotten into that more on our show. Uh, You know, I think the doctor is uh, the epitome of narcissism. I think he gets these companions and he treats them like pets. I don't think that he, you know, he... He moves from one to the next, and it doesn't seem like he really has much of a thought back toward the the ones that he leaves behind. Um, you know, there's there's some exceptions to that, and I think exceptions to that are Rose and River. And I think that he truly does love River, and I think that the goodbye to River was more impactful than Clara. Don't forget about Amy. I I don't put Amy in that on that list. I I just I think that that's another example of of one that he moved on from pretty quickly and uh, didn't look back. That's personal opinion. I just, I think there's, well, two, you, you two could also argue, you... you could also argue the case that when he has regenerations, he has personality changes. And so he has different opinions of different people at that point too. So, yeah. Uh, Adam. Yeah. Clara I'm, or river. I'm trying to debate this one in my mind because if we're talking about which one will have the lasting impact, I think it's going to be River because, frankly, he's not going to remember Clara. Um, right. So her goodbye at this point in time really does not matter at all. Um, so as far as lasting impact, River is going to have a, a greater impact on the Doctor moving forward, even though I doubt we're going to have see any ripples of that goodbye at all. Um, as for which one hurt more, this is one of those discussions that Aaron and I have uh, or had on a fairly regular basis. I do think that Clara meant 
a whole heck of a lot more to the doctor than what we're giving her credit for. And I think because River was more of his equal, even though husband and wife relationship comes into play there, I think because of the burden of uh, the burden of care that he had for Clara, I think that one hurts more in the end. Um, but again, lasting impact. He doesn't remember Clara, so that's neither here nor there at this point. Paul. Uh, to me personally, um, it's not that I don't think he he didn't care about Clara. I think that the the burden of care, like they were saying, I think it became more of an obsession to him than her actual person. Uh, I think the idea of taking care of her became more important to him than you know actually physically taking care of her, if that makes sense. Um, and I think that that's the reason why he went to the links that he did. Uh, as far as actually caring about somebody, having compassion, having uh, an actual uh, loving, heartfelt emotion towards somebody, I think he, he had that more toward River. That's just my personal opinion. Um, I mean, when he looked at her in that episode and he... he Tell he uses her own words and says, uh, "Hello, sweetie." The look on his face was just absolute. You could tell just by the expression on his face that he was completely and utterly in love with her. That that there was there was no faking or anything in that in that moment. He was opening up to her in a way that he didn't open up to most anybody else. Okay, I. This is hard for me because Clara, his reaction when he lost Clara and the lengths that he went when he, when she was taken from him, uh, you know, in heaven sent, uh, in particular when he endured, we later found out over four and a half billion years of being trapped in his confession dial was just an astronomical amount of penance that he put himself through, basically, uh, for losing Clara. But on the other hand, he's also been avoiding his whole goodbye with River because he doesn't want it to happen yet. And so it is one of those things where, in the moment, I think probably the loss of Clara hurt more. But like Adam was saying, as a lasting impact, River's goodbye will probably haunt him longer because of the amount of time he spent with her and, and the the different faces that she of his that she had seen. You know, he's encountered her with more than one regeneration. And yes, uh, Clara saw two of his regenerations, but River had a very unique connection with the doctor and in the moment I would say Clara's hurt more, but as a lasting impact, I'm going to say river. So it's very difficult for me to say definitively one hurt him more than the other. So I'm going to split it like that. <laughs> and you, and you uh, think about the, the situation with river. He has had to deal with the loss of river ever since the moment he first met her. Yeah, you know that's a whole another issue in itself. You know, 
Yeah, he lost her the first time he met her, and then every time he meets her again, he remembers that he's already lost her. So he, it, to him, it's probably like he feels like he's losing her all over again. Anything else on this before I move on? Because I've got two more questions. Go for it. Go for it. All right. Um, will anything from Series 9 impact the show going forward into Series 10? And, and, and if so, what would that be? Uh, the impact of what happened with Clara at the end, I think will that basically we get a reset of the doctor. Um, I think the doctor had gotten himself to a point. It happens with the doctors from time to time um, where they'll get to a point where they become something that, that is no longer the doctor. You know, they, they're not following those rules. The doctor typically lives by Capaldi had reached that point. He was willing to, you know, you know, he killed another Time Lord. I know that Time Lord regenerated, but he still, you know, he he shot someone with a gun. Like that's not something the Doctor does. He, you know, he was willing to, you know, break the rules of time to save a companion. Like he was doing all the wrong things, and he had gotten to a point where he thought that he was justified in doing those things. And I think he needed a reset. And what happened with Claire at the end, where he did lose his memory, I think is that reset. And I think obviously that is going to have a big impact on where this doctor goes in the future. I think we're going to see kind of a different version of him in the next season, um, where he's not not necessarily that same guy that we saw the last few episodes. Um, we might get more of what we saw in the Husbands of River Song, where he is a little bit more Matt Smith esque, you know, a little more goofy, a little bit more fun, um, and not such. You know, not such a mean doctor that we had had gotten earlier. I, I think we're still going to see something come about with uh, Missy and the Daleks. That's I'm still puzzled how the very second episode of the season ends with the Daleks surrounding Missy and Missy saying, "Hey, I have something for that," and then we never see them show back up. Um, if that is not something that shows up in series ten moving forward. I, I'm going to be just downright puzzled. I'm not going to know what that was even about. Um, so aside from what Aaron says, because I totally agree um, that that he, he is going to be totally different, a different type of doctor moving forward without Clara, without those memories, um, with now that changed. He's, he's definitely going to stop eating pears again, for sure. Um <laughs> But we also need to see what happens with Missy and the Daleks moving forward. Paul? I've got a few. Um, I, I agree that we'll probably see something uh, piggybacking off of the, the Magician's Apprentice and the Witch is Familiar. Uh, having to do with uh, maybe not even just Missy and the Daleks, but also uh, possibly something in the dynamic of the Daleks themselves that have changed now that they have uh, been revived or revitalized uh, by the Doctor's uh, essence. Uh, so there might be some kind of difference in them or change in them there. Um, and uh, also I think that there's a possibility we could uh, see a shielder at some point again in the future um, because that was left unresolved. Uh, and so there's, you know, always the potential of something interesting happening there. Uh, and let's not forget Osgood. Um, I think that, good one. Uh, you know, we could definitely see something interesting happen with Osgood, especially since she's twins 
you know, um, and that was completely left unresolved. Uh, you don't know anything about, you know, which one's which or anything like that. They could both be Zygon for that matter. Um, but, uh, you know, you've got that. And then, of course, there's the new the new uh, companion that's going to be coming in to replace Clara. Uh, and that could happen in the first episode of the new season or it could happen two or three episodes in. We don't really know. Uh, I personally, uh, like I said before, I like it when there's a little bit of a gap or a little bit of an overlap and you don't have such a defined, okay, we've gotten rid of this, you know, companion here. Let's bring in one more. I kind of like the way that they did it sometimes in the classic series where you had two or three companions uh, that overlapped one another and, you know, one would come off and you'd still have two more there and then another one would you know, leave and then you'd have another one come on and, and you wouldn't have such a defined, you know, uh, line of, okay, now we've gotten rid of a companion. We have to have another one kind of thing that I like the specials that we had with tenant where we had a little bit of a gap there, you know? Uh, so I think there's a a lot of potential there's, there's, that's four things right there. I can think of that that could have some bearing on the future. Yeah. And the couple of things I was particularly going to bring up was a shielder. I, I think, I think the doctor can run into her a couple more times and and it would be interesting to see how she would would, would respond to that. I mean, do I think it's likely for her to return next season? Probably not. Um but it, she could. Um and I think that would be very interesting and someone that he would definitely remember unlike Clara. And I think part of what we will get is the fact that he doesn't remember Clara might might drive him a little bit in either his acceptance or non-acceptance of the new companion. However, they decide to go with that. Right. Um, and so I think that would be interesting. Uh, and I do like the idea that you brought up with Osgood. Uh, you know, I, I feel like that's something that, that has to be revisited at this point because they did leave it so much up in the air and, and, and they, uh, whether or not she just shows back up in another adventure and he sort of asks her about it again and she doesn't answer again. I mean, that could even, you know, perpetuate the cycle at this point. But I think her situation was elevated from just, you know, sort of the Doctor Who fan that's in the show, uh, how kind of how she was uh, when she was originally created, to now she actually has higher stakes as a character in the series. And, and I think, uh, that could be, that could definitely be explored, um, going forward. And I'd like that. Ready for some crazy speculation. Go for it, Adam. Series 10, series 10. The new companion is none other than Clara. (laughs) The doctor has no memory of her. Clara shows back up. Clara's the new companion. We get two more series with Clara as companion. Oh, I'm sorry, but I would feel so hacked off if that happened. <laughs> I would not be happy. I can tell you right now, I would not be happy at all if that happened. But wouldn't that just be brilliant? I mean, Moffat oh. would have a field day with that. He would. But he'd piss off every Doctor Who fan, yeah. I think. <laughs> and he would love it, though. Like, that's, that's what Moffat loves. Except for the minority who think that Clara should never leave, you know. Uh, oh man, that would, wow, <laughs> that would be a twist. That would be a twist. 
I mean, creepers. don't get me wrong. I just think Clara has run her course. I don't. I don't think that there is room left for her in her, you know, in the story anymore. I. I think that her story's been told, and you know, I think if you try to use her anymore after this, uh, with the exception of maybe some weird cameo, you know, seasons down the road or whatever, when she just happens to show up in another TARDIS or something, um, I think that. <laughs> You know, I think that that would be uh, just stretching it out to the point where it's just, you know, ridiculous. How about this one? The doctor's next regeneration is Clara. He remembers the <laughs> face, right, Aaron? Pompeii, he remembers the face. For some reason, he regenerates like Clara. Oh, well. Stop oh my it. God. <laughs> I, would, I would rather him... I'm not going to go there. Never mind. This is all the stuff that Aaron edits out of our episodes. Me just going <laughs> extra and just like this. <laughs> He's not lying. <laughs> oh, oh. Man. Oh. These were the Enough. Enough, Clara. Things, these are the kind of things that Jason leaves in from me. <laughs> <laughs> just to see if it gets a response. We're not we're oh, going to we're now going to start a new podcast called Trading Time Lords, where we regularly <laughs> switch uh, companion hosts for podcasting. Wow. So I, I will be with Jason. Paul, you will be with Aaron. Trading Time Lords. Wow. It's a spinoff. <laughs> it's a spinoff. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's our funny. Torchwood. <laughs> <laughs> or the class or whatever it is that they're calling this new one. Yeah. Which I have no interest in watching, by the way. Just saying. Saved I, I by the cloister bell. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like that. I've been oh, holding yeah. on to that one. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure as Moffat listens, he'll 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 jump on that one. Nice. Saved by the cloister bell. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that is funny. Oh man. All right. I have one more question and then we'll get to anything else that you guys want to wrap up about series nine. As we sort of wrap up all this discussion here, what, what story from series nine will, do you think you'll be rewatching the most? Uh, it doesn't have to be your favorite. It could just be something that was the most interesting or grabs you for some reason or another. What, what would, what is the most rewatchable story or episode from this season for you? I would say that so far the one I've rewatched the most is probably Heaven Sent just because I wanted to try to just wrap my mind around what happened and try to make decisions for myself on what I think there's some things in there that still aren't clear and that a lot of it's left up to interpretation. Um, you know, was the doctor actually in a physical place? Was he living in his own head? Did he actually was he there for billions of years or, you know, was it just a, you know, a small amount of time that felt like billions of years? So like I feel like just just trying to figure it out will cause me to rewatch that one a few more times. Um, but beyond that, I you know I kind of said earlier my favorite episodes were the girl who died and the woman who lived. I think just you know just across those two episodes, uh, what's contained in there with the the storytelling, the acting, the characters they introduced. I think those will be the ones that just for pure entertainment value, I'll go back and watch the most. I'll I'll be revisiting the girl who died. Um... There's so many solid moments in there. His interaction with the Vikings, the uh, him listening to and interpreting the baby crying. There's just so many solid moments within that episode in and of itself. Not only 
that episode, but what it sets up uh, for essentially the rest of the season. Like Aaron said, though, heaven sent a rewatch that one, just try to wrap my mind around it. Um, but Girl Who Died is definitely going to be one that I rewatch just for pure pleasure. I wanted to point out one thing, too, from The Girl Who Died that I didn't realize until I went back and rewatched uh, some other stuff. I think Deep Breath. Um, the the scene where he's translating what the, the baby is saying is very reminiscent to the scene where he's translating what the dinosaur is saying. I don't know if you guys remember that. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that yeah. was kind of something I just didn't catch the, when I watched The Girl Who Died. And then going back and rewatching Deep Breath, I saw that scene again, and I was like, wow, that is very, like, it's kind of a cool little callback that I didn't even catch. But if you listen to what he's saying, that, that he's translating the dinosaur, um, it's it's very interesting to hear the parallels to his own feelings after losing Clara and the way that the dinosaur felt, which sounds kind of ridiculous saying out loud. But I I just happened to go back after because I thought Clara was gone. You know, I thought she was dead after Face the Raven. And I was like, you know, what? I want to go back and watch the first episode of them together. And that's why I watched Deep Breath. And when I came across that scene where he's translating the dinosaur, it was very it was almost like touching. Like, I, you know, got, I got a little misty eyed because I was like, wow, that's a, it's almost like the doctor knowing what is going to happen later is translating his own mind. So I don't know. It was just it was kind of cool. So I would. I would say go back and rewatch that scene and, and see if you guys can kind of catch what I'm talking about. Nice. I may just have to do that. Paul, what are you going to rewatch the most? I'm a little different uh, than some. Uh, I tend to rewatch uh, not only episodes that I thoroughly enjoy, but also episodes that I want to try to wrap my head around a little bit more and to try to see if I can glean more from. So one of the ones that I'll probably go back and watch more uh, more times just for the sake of uh, getting my head around it more and and trying to see if there's any information that was hidden in there that I missed uh, is Sleep No More. Um, and and it, I know that a lot of people hated it. Uh, there was there were some people that that liked it. I was kind of in the middle. Um I always like the idea of bringing in new monsters and new villains and things like that. And so I, I appreciate it for that. But, you know, it left me a little bit confused uh, in the way that uh, things were portrayed. And, and I gave it a little bit uh, more of a pass than some did because in my mind, uh, you know, the whole explanation of uh, the sleep dust and things like that, it was just another situation of the doctor telling his companion the simplest explanation that he could come up with to explain it away so that he could move on and take care of the situation without being bombarded with questions, you know. Um, so to me, it seemed like that there was a more uh, legitimate origin uh, as to how these things were created and everything than that. Uh, and he just hadn't nailed it all down yet, which is one of the reasons I would like to see a follow-up episode to that, to see them take it a little further and see if we can actually get a legitimate explanation for their origin and things like that. So I'll probably go back and watch that just to see if, you know, I've, I've already watched it like three times and I'm, 
I'll just keep, probably keep going back every, every so often just to see if there's anything in there that, that I can glean from it that will give me a little bit more information and, and make it make a little bit more sense to me, you know. So you're already infected. <laughs> <laughs> they, they warned us, Paul, right at the, the opening line of the episode. The very first line of the episode is, you must not watch this. We should have listened. <laughs> But see, we should have. Those are the parts of the episode that I like the most. You know, is the the creepier parts like that 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 have the psychological stuff in them. Uh, you know, and so uh, I, I just feel like that it gives me an opportunity because I do like those particular aspects of the episode. It gives me an opportunity to then look at the rest of it and see if there's things like Easter eggs hidden in there that I didn't pick up on before. You know. Wow. I think for me, um, there's there's two sets of, of 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 reasons and episodes that I will probably rewatch. I will probably rewatch Heaven Sent um, a couple, quite a bit because the story not not necessarily the story, but the, the the performance that Peter Capaldi gives as the Doctor in that was gripping and held my attention the entire time, and uh, it really drew me in, and I really enjoyed his portrayal uh, in that episode and uh, and there there is so much nuance and so much uh question you know so much unanswered from that episode that it it, it almost requires multiple <laughs> viewings of it um to really get everything um but then again there's also other episodes that i'm just going to watch for for fun and it, Sort of the the classic Doctor Who, you know, Doctor versus the bad guys sort of episode. And for that, I think I think I'd rewatch The Magician's Apprentice and The Witch is Familiar um, quite a bit, probably going on in the future. Uh, it was the interactions with Missy and having her almost as a second companion. Um, for the episode was interesting and kind of fun. Uh, the, you know, resurrection of Davros and the, you know, sort of reestablishing of, of that antagonistic relationship between the doctor and Davros and just having the Daleks and Scarrow back in the way that they came back, uh, was really interesting and fascinating to me, especially since, you know, one of the things that we're doing on our show is we're going through all the different Dalek story arcs, and just sort of seeing how they've progressed um, has been fascinating to me. And so that that's something I will probably re- probably rewatch and revisit uh, going forward more than once, um, I would say. So, Jason, yeah. uh, the dynamic between Missy and the Doctor in uh, Magician's Apprentice and Witches Familiar, did, did that kind of feel a little bit like the dynamic uh, for the third Doctor in the, in the Master to you? Yeah. Uh, just a little bit. It did. They sort of tried to bring back the classic, uh, you know, relationship between John Pertwee and uh, Richard Delgado. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was almost back then. It was almost sort of like the gentleman opponents. Um, yeah. In a way, between the two of them, back during the Third Doctor era, and and while you wouldn't say Missy was a gentleman or a gentlewoman, um, it was definitely more of they're very much on more familiar terms and almost friendly terms at times, but they're both doing things that the other would never want to do. 
you know, Missy thinks the doctor is too moral and too good and goody two shoes. And the doctor thinks that Missy's going and doing, you know, the complete wrong thing and that she should stop doing those evil things, <laughs> you know, but right. um, it, it does sort of their interaction there definitely was a little bit of a throwback. Well, I mean, after the uh, at, at times. after the seventh Doctor, I mean, obviously the the Master began to change a little bit because you know, we we know that the Master was uh, affected uh, by the uh, I don't want to call it a virus, but it was sort of a, a genetic change that started to come over him uh, at the end of uh, the seventh Doctor's run, and after that, it seemed like he became more and more and more and more insane. Uh, yeah. You know, so, you know, there was a difference there, but but I felt like there was a similarity because you had uh, more of that um, anti friendship uh, in this, <laughs> you know, this season. The doctor, the doctor you know, and Missy were frenemies. Right. You, you had more <laughs> of that this season than what you've had sort of in the past uh, recently, you know. Yeah. And that's definitely kind of where they started that relationship back in the, the third doctor era is almost frenemies to an extent. Yeah. Which is a, it's a ridiculous term, but it's kind of the most fitting that I can think of at the moment. Um, is there anything else that anybody wants to bring up about series nine before we start wrapping up the show here? I'm going to just sort of open the floor for anybody to say anything with well, not anything, but <laughs> <you know>. <laughs> within <laughs> reason, <laughs> within reason, the most unexpected Thing as far as liking it was the return of Riggsy. Um, I didn't necessarily like his character that much in season eight, and that episode in general I didn't really enjoy that much. But so when I saw that he was coming back, I was kind of like, ah, really? This is the guy we decided to bring back. But I thought the uh, he did really well in that episode and actually worked. Um, so I, that was kind of a surprise, a, a, a happy surprise. Yeah, no, he, Paul and I sort of. Uh, talked about the idea that maybe we had moved forward in Riggsy's timeline a little bit. Like he was, he seemed a bit more mature, right? Than he than he was. Like we'd moved forward like three or four years in his his life. But yeah, no that that was that was one of those sort of welcome surprises uh, to the show. Anything else? One thing that I'm still trying to wrap my head around, uh, based on the Christmas special, is that river. Uh, when she is talking with Ramon, drops open all the pictures of the doctor. And whose picture would you find there? None other than David Tennant. And yet, fast forward to when she's in the library, she doesn't know his face. She doesn't know where he falls in the timeline. And yet, she had it all mapped out on the timeline based on the pictures in her wallet. I'm a little bit puzzled by that one. Hmm. Hmm. I think that's just something we're not supposed to question. <laughs> that would you be have fun. to question everything. Question everything. <laughs> I'm the doctor. How do I get this tea? I'm the doctor. You know. <laughs> Deal with it. Deal with Anyways, it. Anyways, I just thought that was interesting, especially upon rewatching Silence in the Library and enjoying their relationship there. Uh, I, I'm, I was a little bit puzzled after talking. Because one thing that I pointed out to Aaron our last episode is that I didn't see the War Doctor's picture. Um, but then, sure enough, it was there. So I, I then I'm, I'm going to find something wrong with those pictures. I was convinced I'd find something wrong with those pictures, and I did. I think it would have made more sense if they were all jumbled up and not in order. 
because they were all in order, in perfect order. <laughs> Anything else you want to bring up, Paul? Uh, you guys, <laughs> you guys are pretty much bringing up everything that comes to my mind. Um, I'll just give you my my closing thoughts on the season in general. I was okay. I was extremely satisfied. Um, you know, there were plenty of high points. There were a couple of low points, you know, uh, but overall I was extremely satisfied, which is something that I couldn't say completely at the end of, of series eight. Um, because I just felt like there was something missing through about half of that season, uh, series, you know? Um, and I, I put my finger on, on exactly what that would be, but it just, this, felt so much more like Doctor Who to me uh, than than Series 8 did, um, you know, and I just, I really enjoyed the ride, you know. Okay, I think this is a great opportunity. Anybody else want to give their closing thoughts on the season as a whole? In general, on our show, I tend to be the critical one, and Adam tends to be the apologist. Um, so I think when it comes to Doctor Who, I, you know, I do look at it with a, a little bit more of a critical eye. Um, and, you know, when it comes down to it, most seasons that I've seen, you know, there's stuff I like and there's stuff I really don't like. I think this season, um, really what it came down to, I, you know, Magician's Apprentice, which is familiar, enjoyed those a lot. Under Lake, Before the Flood, had some issues with that. Girl Who Died, Woman Who Lived, really liked that a lot. Zygon Invasion, middle of the road for me. Sleep No More, hated it, faced the raven, heaven sent, hell bent, good ending, wish they didn't do what they did with Clara. Okay. That sums it up. And Husbands of River Song? Husbands of River Song, surprisingly, really liked that. Didn't think I was going to based on the previews. I tend to be uh, the one that doesn't like the more goofy side of Doctor Who, but it worked well in that episode. And I'm a big fan of River, so I think uh, that was a surprise, but I did like that one a lot. Adam, I'm a fan. I, I of series nine. I feel like it it gets me excited about series ten. Yes, as we mentioned, has high spots, low spots. I would say overall, though, it, it was a strong series. I would say that I definitely put this above series eight. Um, and if nothing more, it serves as an amazing bridge to get me excited about the possibilities of what series 10 can hold. And that is saying more than what series eight did. Um, series eight, I wasn't necessarily excited about series nine. I was excited because it was Dr. Who, but I wasn't overly excited because I wasn't sure what we were going to get series nine um, production value is up. They, they did have some solid stories. They got back to a few things that made Dr. Who fun, made Dr. Who great. Um, so I'm looking forward to series 10. One of the things that irked me about Series 8 was that because they were going back to a, a Doctor who was, uh, you know, much older and a much different type of Doctor uh, than than what we had been getting uh, in the new series, is I felt like they didn't let the, the Doctor stand on his own very much in Series 8. Uh, they, they sort of propped him up a little bit with really fleshing out Clara, introducing Danny Pink, and introducing Missy very early on in the series. Uh, and sort of keeping all these things juggled around to sort of prop up 
you know, that risk that they took with making the Doctor an older, grumpier, very different type of Doctor than they had before. Um, And this series I appreciate a lot more because he definitely more than was able to stand on his own and really carry his episodes. Um, Not only, you know, Heaven Sent, where he's basically the only actor for, you know, 90% of that that episode, uh, but even episodes where there's a huge cast of characters. He really does, is able to carry his own show, which was something I really appreciated and, and didn't quite put my finger on what about Series 8 bothered me until I started seeing this series. And so I think that combined with some of the really high points for me is why I, I, I'm definitely a little bit biased towards this season as being one of my favorites and why Peter Capaldi is now my favorite doctor. So uh, that's uh, that's going to be my closing thoughts on, on series nine. You know, now that you bring that up, I think that, you know, it makes me think that series eight is a lot like the first part of season one of the classic series uh, in that Ian was more of the main character and the doctor was more of a secondary character, even though the show was named after him, you know? And I think that that dynamic kind of took it, took something away from it for me, you know? We know who Ian is, Adam. We, we did our research on that. <laughs> He's my favorite <laughs> <Yeah>. classic companion. <laughs> uh, my favorite villain was the monk. Oh, the monk. Oh, they should have brought him back. Great. Missed opportunity. They had the Vikings come back, but they didn't have the monk come back. Yeah. I'm waiting for that series 10. He'll be there. <laughs> oh, man. The meddling monk. Before we wrap up, I do want to just call call out the uh, the callback to the fires of Pompeii. I thought that was cool that they did kind of wrap that up. Um, and the, the quick cameo of the flashback with the 10th Doctor and Donna, I thought was mm-hmm. pretty awesome. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. Donna is my favorite of the new companions, and so any way that we can, you know, reference her and have her be even more important than she is, uh, is okay in my book. So, <laughs> all right. Um, before we wrap this up, Adam, Aaron, tell everybody about your podcast. Okay, Go Bad Wolf it. Radio. Yeah, Bad Wolf Radio is our Doctor Who podcast. Um. You know, it's probably similar to what these guys do over here. We talk about Doctor Who. We, you know, pretty much we review the episodes as they come out, and then we jump back into the classic stuff as well. Kind of working our way through the classic Doctors. Got all the way through the first, and now we're starting in on the second. Um, but yeah, just we'd like to discuss and review Doctor Who, and um, that's what we do over there. So you can find us at uh, www.badwolfpodcast.com. And I didn't even know I did a podcast. I just thought I'd talked with Aaron on a weekly basis. Oh, yeah. I record all of those. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I should have told you. I should, yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Uh, anything else, Paul, before we, we uh, put the lid on this one? They need to bring K9 back. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> That, that has been that has been Paul's mantra forever. Um, <laughs> is that they need to bring K9 back? Nicely played. Um All right. Well, before we go any longer, because this has been a very long episode, um, appropriately so, 
I just want to point everybody to our social media. Of course, you can interact with us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Talking Time Lords. Our Twitter handle is at Talking Time Lord because Twitter doesn't have enough characters for me to put Talking Time Lords. Um, and of course, our TARDIS on the internet, our website is TalkingTimeLords.com where you can find all of our previous episodes on there. And of course, please leave us a positive review on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Um, that definitely helps us out. Please go check out Bad Wolf Radio. It is the first Doctor Who podcast I ever listened to. Um, the only one I currently listen to other than mine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because I have way too many podcasts in my uh, my iTunes feed that I listen to right now. I can't keep up with any of them. Um, I'm an avid listener as well. So, yeah. yeah. So, oh, sure. I, but Bad Wolf Radio is one that I do keep up with. So, But... I think that'll wrap up this episode of Talking Time Lords. This has been episode number 29, our Series 9 recap. For Aaron, Adam, and Paul, I'm Jason. And remember, until next time... May you hope far-flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. Thanks, guys. Later Later days. days. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows.